Inspection time. <laughs> Mickey, as my chauffeur, how would you help a lady into the back seat of a car? As quick as I can. <laughs> Mike, as my personal chef, what will be your three main dishes? Well, uh, well, we'll start off with uh, Vicky, uh, Vichy Swartz, and then we'll go into um, uh, Chateau Brian, and then we'll go into uh, Chocolate Mouse. Well, you can't cook those dishes. Yeah, no, I can't say them either. Peter, as my devoted houseboy, what will be your main function? I am born to serve my master and live only to perform his bidding. Right. Now get me my comb. Get it yourself. <laughs> everybody, and welcome to the Night Fly with Dave Juskow, the December final days of 2018 edition, with tonight's special guest, a guest we've been talking about on this podcast for many months, maybe even years. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the great Adam Schlesinger. <laughs> yeah, I don't have an applause sign. It's not funny. I, I have everything sound else. Sound I have, uh, <laughs> it's a good idea. Yeah, it's funny. I have like, um, like the rim shot and uh, everything else, but I, I don't have applause breaks, which I can't believe I don't use myself just to um, pretend like everybody's enjoying the show. Adam, uh, thank you so much for coming. This is like uh, kind of a great get. Oh, well, thank you for having me. You're like me. a white whale thank for, for me. Thank you for considering me a great get. Well, I mean, since I needed that now today. we've known each other for maybe a year, year and a half or so. Yeah. Um, through um, that. Sarah Silverman character. I mean, I don't know what her deal is. I think she's on her way out in the business. You know, I don't want to say anything. I know you're working with her now, but she had her moment. Yeah, she had her moment. Yeah. And just because she happens to be the number one box office star this week doesn't right. mean she will be next week. Right. Just because she has a TV show right yeah, now. Yeah, a TV she's show. Just, have just, a TV just show. because she's having a Broadway show that you happen to be doing the music for. They, they, what does that all mean in mm. the long run? She's had her moment. It's over for her. But for you and me, it's just beginning. Exactly. <laughs> It's our era. I can but, feel it. Yeah, it's like you know what the the, the best part about you is. I'm going to just turn this off. Um, is that the uh, well, the first time I technically met you, I was it was the only time I've gotten blackout drunk. It, it, I didn't meet you. You were performing with Fountain. The only Point. time that day or ever, <laughs> ever. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was weird. It's um, it was at the Beacon. You were at the Beacon. You were opening for Squeeze. Uh huh. And um. I don't know what happened. I'm a really good drunk, and I do not get blackout drunk. And for mm-hmm, some reason, mm-hmm. that particular day, wow! <laughs> I remember you guys. I must have gotten there late, but I completely remember Stacy's mom because you all came up to the front, and you were, and it was awesome. And then I don't remember the rest of the show. Did you see Squeeze? Did you see? Any I did. I sat through the whole thing, but I don't remember it at all. Oh. I don't remember enjoying it. I don't remember anything. I remember who I was with. And I remember she um, was hot, and she, and she let me touch her a little. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Even though you were blackout drunk. Yeah, and then I lost a $100 bill, probably because I was flashing it around because I had one. And then um, she was kind enough to pay for my cab. <laughs> wow, you had quite a night. I know, and I, I, it's funny because I remember the other parts, but I, I just don't remember. 
I know we went to some bar in between. We went out for dinner before. We went out to some bar. And my the reason I guess I remember is because my friend had his third date with his, who would become his wife uh, that day. So we always talk about it because, um, you know, I was with all friends from high school. Mm-hmm. And and but this was only a couple years. Like it was, I mean, I don't know, eight years ago, maybe ten. I think that was at least ten. I can't probably remember. ten. Yeah, yeah, maybe. And but so um, now, when you get to that ninth drink, you say no, thank you. I'm no, stop I wouldn't do eight. that. I, I just don't know what caused it that particular night. That's the thing. I've had multiple drinks like that before. I I even ate. Maybe so. your date roofied you. And you she might have. Yeah. She is suspicious. Yeah. Mm. I get this coffee from downstairs, which I offered to you. Mm-hmm. And uh, this girl who usually makes it wasn't there today. Um, but I like the way she makes it better. But it's not as chocolatey today, which is actually better. This is the perfect way to make a cappuccino. Oh, nice. But I like it when that girl puts extra chocolate in. So, But it's still delicious. Really Noted. Noted for next yeah. time. I blew it. It's a great story. Yeah. yeah. I was um, actually talking to um, my friend Mike Sauter today. I don't know whether you remember him but he used to work at whtg down in oh yeah 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 um said he knew it's funny he just randomly emailed me today about something else and then he said oh you're not going to believe because he was a huge huge fan of yours let alone that was a cool station they had that That was a great little they had a little house little house in eatontown new jersey i was there many times too and yeah uh matt pinfield used to work there yeah sure so uh yeah i used to hang out there a lot and he's been a friend of mine for we went to college together oh nice and he was the morning guy there and he introduced me to a whole bunch of stuff i'd never heard of before in my life let alone matt pinfield and what he did for alternative music which i don't know you might have fell into at that point my first sort of professional or i guess you could call professional gig playing in a band was I, i got a job uh, playing keyboards for a band from that area. <clears throat> the band was called the Red House, and they were from they they were from like Cranford or something, but uh, that area. But they played and built up a following in Asbury Park and in that and Jersey Shore. Uh, that's an easy place to make a following. That's not even fair, I guess. But anyway, so I used to. I, I think I was like twenty one, twenty two, and I used to. And and they they were very friend, good friends with the WHCG people and played in all those clubs down there a lot. That was the. Uh, I mean, there's there aren't days like that anymore. Nobody, unless we're just because you grew up in Jersey too. Yeah, that maybe it's different in the rest of the country, but around. I mean, it's just not like it's not those days. Like a a radio station like that would be so um, sort of tied in with the local. Yeah, thing. or so influential in a way like that Long Island radio station that was really influential. What was that one that LIR LIR that yeah. was influential for heavy eighties yeah, alternative totally. music started a lot of bands and stuff or introduced a lot of bands to uh, America. Yeah, totally. But yeah, it's funny. Those were good times and um, that guy Matt Pinfield would DJ down at in New Brunswick, New Jersey sometimes we go to see him and stuff but um, Mike said he he did meet you and said you and I don't remember who the guy the guy was. Um, I don't know if it was Chris from, from Fountains of Wayne. It was probably me and Chris. If we were at a well, he said station. you guys were drinking a lot of Jameson. So would that be him? Uh, we did a little bit of that in our day. <laughs> he said that's why he wouldn't might not remember either. Yeah, but um, yeah, I know. I like um, now. Remember, kids, you must be twenty one or older to drink Jameson. <laughs> Do you really have to be at this point? In fact, today I was just telling my friend whose daughter's turning eighteen uh, next month. Um, I said, "Well, have her give me a call." But uh, she was like, "No, I don't think." But I like. I think they should just change the, if you're legalizing weed and gambling and we're clearly going for it all we should also make the drinking age 11 at least 19 oh 19 oh, so you can okay. drink in college get it over with and 
It's ridiculous to be 21. It's ridiculous. I've always thought. That. In fact, when I went to college, it was 18. It was, yeah. Yeah. When I, I went know. to college, it was 18. I went to college in the corner, the western corner of Massachusetts at Williams College and over the border in Vermont, it was 18. That was like five miles away. So there were all these state line liquor stores. I remember Vermont was like yeah. Vermont and I think, oh no, West Virginia. That was the one I, only because I saw it on a Family Ties episode where uh, Michael J. Fox went to West Virginia. Across the border. Across the border. And his mother came to go find. It was really embarrassing. And I'm like, what an asshole. Like, I'm still mad at Meredith Baxter Bernie for that. (laughs) Like, I know. It's like (laughs) pathetic. I just get caught up, you know. But uh, nobody does that to Michael J. Fox. MJF. Um, But yeah, I went to Ithaca College and the drinking age was 18 when I got there. Mm -hmm. And it was, when I tell, (laughs) you want to feel like an old person, like, when I was in college, I mean, there it is. Like, it was, the drinking age was 18, you can get a keg in your dorm. Of course, life expectancy was 20, so. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Um, But yeah, it's just, I just think they should bring it back, but who's going to be that official person? (laughs) Yeah, who's going to make that their cause? You'd be that guy, I should be that. Well, I told you I wanted to run for Manhattan Borough President, but um, apparently I did some research on it and met with this girl who's big in New York City politics, Mm -hmm. and she says, you're not going to beat this incumbent woman. Um, She's really popular. And I'm like, how can that be? She is the ugliest woman I've ever seen. (laughs) I mean, seriously, if you look her up, it's like she's just gross. So I'm like, well, then I know I'm going to win. I mean, just that's why when I get this new hair, forget about it. Oh my god, it's gonna be unbelievable. Yeah, I mean that's the plan, you know, just the hair. But anyway, um, today and I just I don't want to keep you long. I know you're very busy, man. So busy. Well, you are. You do have a lot of projects going on. I mean, this. I, I have so much to ask you, and also kiss your ass and uh, please do so much stuff. Please. That's what I'm but, here for. But today. Just, because there's so much, I, I mean, some really, I could have you on ego for... boosting, and then I'm out of here. That's my... Feel, feeling a little better about myself, walking down the street, like, yeah, I just well, did a you podcast, <laughs> talked about myself for an hour. I know, I'm sorry, it's this podcast, but uh, yeah. no, it's like... Uh, I guess you... I have accomplished a couple of things. <laughs> well, oh, you know I'm how sorry. I feel about you, and, just, and, and how Sarah and I keep being in awe of your work as we find it in movies like, or whatever. Aww. We see your name on the credits. We're like, and we're singing this song. We're like, God, oh, that's poppy. I wonder who wrote that. And then it says Adam Schlesinger. We're like, Jesus Christ. We're Aww. just singing that song. I mean, it's amazing. And I want to, I'm hoping you'll, I mean, um, come on another time. But today we were going to concentrate on this unbelievable new Monkeys album. Oh, cool. Okay. Which, uh, the Christmas album. Just in time for the holidays. Yeah, Perfect. Because it is. Great. And, so here's the thing with you, and you really are, have you, besides, the, 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 there's an earlier Monkeys album called Good Times, which came out about two years before, yeah. which amazed everyone on how good it was, because it's one of those things, like, yeah, oh, new Monkeys album, you know, right. like, and then everybody was kind of blown away. I mean, really blown away, and you got the biggies to, you know, let alone yourself writing for it. You have um, the guy from XTC. Andy Partridge. Andy Partridge, who's yeah. a living legend, and Rivers yeah. Cuomo. Yeah. So uh, from uh, Weezer. No, no Gallagher and Paul Weller. Nobody knows who those guys are. No, up and no, coming. Just... <laughs> up and coming. Uh, I didn't even know they were. That is, those are the British guys from? Oasis. Yeah. And the Jam. And... They made a song together? That's a funny story, actually. Um, I was trying to get material together for that monkeys record and and we were just reaching out to anybody we could think of and um brian young who was the drummer in fountains of wayne uh and my close friend and who was going to be the drummer on this stuff was on tour as the drummer of jesus and mary chain and jesus mary chain is um managed by alan mcgee 
and Alan McGee discovered Oasis. So just kind of as a joke, I said to Brian, hey, tell McGee um, if he runs into Noel Gallagher, we could use (laughs) some more songs for the Monkees. And so Brian actually did it, and he told Alan McGee, and Alan McGee somehow told Noel Gallagher this, and Noel Gallagher said, oh, well, funny enough, I was just writing this song with Paul Weller, and we said it sounds like an old Monkees song, so you guys can have it. So, So they sent us this demo, and um, yeah, it sounded like some, you know, like sort of later period, like head period, monkeys, like psychedelic, crazy song. And they hadn't even finished all the lyrics yet. It was kind of half there, but it, it was amazing. And, and so I, I wrote him back right away. I said, oh, this is great. Are you serious? We can have this. And then we ended up cutting it. That's the, th- that's the amazing thing is all the people that were excited to work like maybe they didn't work with them but just to offer stuff for the monkeys because of the influence that these guys had on all of us oh yeah um, that were not only was the show so cool and like you know if you watch it now it's not as great but i mean back then it was like boy these guys are crazy but they really make good music yeah um and you know it well was, also there's this history of great songwriters writing for the monkeys i mean the monkeys neil diamond right I mean, yeah, everybody, you know, Carol King and Neil Sedaka and, and like Boyce and Harder wrote all those hits. And there's there's this long legacy of like great pop songwriters. I didn't know that. I didn't know yeah. there was other people doing that too. Back, I mean, I, back in the day, I mean, all their hits were, you know. Were was that the, when they were already famous? Like somebody like Carol King and stuff? So, the, you know, it was created as a TV show. And originally it was just like they were cast and they weren't a, a band per se. And um, two of them had been musicians and two of them had been actors. And they put this cast band together, and then the producers, um, you know, assembled the material and the and the and all this stuff. And they always got great writers to write these hit songs for them. And then the band magically became a real band and started writing their own material and wanting to have more say in what they did. And and now over the years, you know, I mean, it's whatever fifty years later, but it's this weird combination of real and not real where they they still. You know, the guys are very into it and, and everyone has opinions and everything, but it's also like other people writing for them and that's just part of the monkey's tradition and everybody's very open about that. There's no secret to that. Yeah. And p- other people playing on the tracks. I mean, you know, the, the monkey's tracks are, uh, in this case, it was a combination of the guys in the band and my friends that I called in and other people that we that we could rope in for a day or two here and there. So, But that was their problem early on is that people were like, they don't play instruments or they had to get explain to people what we do or whatever and and the fact that they didn't write their own stuff like it seemed to be like a problem which is why they actually should have been even a little bit bigger because their songs were so good and they had all these i mean who really cares i mean right nobody never even wrote one goddamn song right (laughs) i mean at the time there was a moment when they were outselling the beatles and the stones together or so there's some statistic like that um so anyway yeah they 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 um i was i was very excited when I got a call to just work with them at all for the same reason that all these other people. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. it's just like this this thing that we all know from growing up. And so it was exciting for me. And um, and so we made that record, Good Times, and that came out two years ago. And then uh, John Hughes, who's my friend, who is the A&R guy for the Monkees, and sort of he's the Rhino Records guy that's in charge of everything Monkees. Um, he had this idea of following it up with a Christmas record. Well, which, I had heard that you nobody knew what to how to follow it up like at first like it took a like a while to figure out how do we follow it up right or yeah it, it, I mean, well, it didn't come that easy right there were there were different conversations about it but i but 
he had had this Christmas record idea for a while, and we actually were trying to pull it together last year, and for various reasons it didn't happen. But it seemed like a good sort of low-pressure way to do it, but also to make another cool record. And, and you, I mean, you um, first of all, the Monkees had never had a Christmas album. Right. Which is fascinating. They had a Christmas episode. Which right, uh, it, yes, yeah. I have um, footage from it, actually. Yeah, which I, is pretty yeah. funny. It's, uh, I didn't even know if they had... And, and in fact, on that... Uh, here, I have that... Uh, is this the... Oh, here it is. Wait, is this... Hold on a second. Oh, no, that's the... Uh, this, that's this. I have this because they do this. Well, the crew that's helped us for these last two years have families that are all over the country, and because some of them won't get home for the holiday season... Does anybody have anybody in England? I don't know. Okay. Even in Dubuque? Uh... Because they won't get home to see him for the holiday season, we thought we'd bring them on, let you meet them, and let them say hello to whoever was out there. And say then they bring all the crew on camera. The and their crew's Christmas message, which is peace. Yeah, they bring the crew on. and they I bring... used a snippet from that audio on the record, actually. You there's, did? Yeah, there's a song called Christmas Party, oh, which was... Well, the uh, title of the album as well. It was written by Peter Buck from R.E.M. and right. Scott McCoy, uh, who also toured with R.E.M. and uh, Minus Five and Young Fresh Fellows and, and a bunch of stuff. And... Um, <clears throat> that song, which I just threw a little bit of that Davy Jones audio from that. Yeah, I heard. I remember hearing the Davy Jones when I had that in my in my notes yeah. as well. Because, um, yeah, I know the uh, the opening with Davy Jones talking was that from that exactly. Yeah, that's that, that's that clip. That. I mean, oh, it's a little bit later when he they all start all the crew starts. Yeah, know, and it really by. It, when you watch it, and I don't remember this episode at all, but. Um, when you watch it, it really seems like Davy Jones really knew everyone. I think he did. Like he must have been a very friendly guy. Yeah. Uh, it seemed like the other guys, not so much. But he really knew oh, everybody's yeah. name. I don't think it was a gag. The other guys were like, who are these people? <laughs> They'd never seen him before. Right. But those are my favorite things because this is like my favorite um, Christmas ending. There's like somebody in it that you, remember that you really love. <laughs> Someone you're nuts about. Merry Christmas. This is my favorite part of all Christmas episodes. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Ladies and gentlemen, we usually don't step out of character, but tonight I think it proper that uh, Mr. and Mrs. Cramden and uh, Mr. and Mrs. Norton wish everybody a Merry Christmas. Would you come in there, Norton? <laughs> Do you remember that one where they just come oh, in? Yeah. They just come. I mean, they they, go, they they he goes in front of the curtain. I remember it as a kid because it was scary because he came right into the camera. <laughs> and like, it was ah. like terrifying. But <laughs> right. Those are like my favorite. You didn't know ones. about that like, fourth wall. We usually don't get out of our roles. But <laughs> <laughs> and I always remember when I saw that monkey's Christmas budget. I'm like, oh my god, they're doing the uh, the honey right. bears bit, right. which not a lot of people did back then. And it seems like the most obvious thing to kind of just have some fun in a Christmas special and, yeah. and do something cool, especially for the people that, the, the way they did it, the people work behind the camera. I'd never seen that in my life. Like right. to this day. Right. I don't see, you know, somebody like, I remember, you know, a lot of shows that end, like I remember John Stewart show, he goes, do me a favor and look at the credits as you're like, but nobody ever invites them on stage. <laughs> look at the credits. <laughs> yeah. He just says, look at the credits, do me a favor, indulge me, look at the crowd. I'm like, <laughs> Hey, that's a great thing. But right. yeah, here they, here they brought on all these guys they've been working with, I guess for like two years or whatever. And yeah, I just, I like that whole um, thing. And then, and I don't want, if I, if you don't want me to on the album, yeah. Target, Mm-hmm. Has uh, two extra 
songs. Oh yeah, I think uh, that's uh, you know some kind of deal they make in order to get a big. Uh, it is. Do you mind if him? I just play a clip of it because it's from that Christmas episode? It's the Rio Chio. Oh, really? I don't yeah. know if you want to be a surprise for the target no, no, people. No, that's not or a surprise because this was. I'd never seen the song. I didn't even know it was I on the Target one. I obviously had nothing one. to do with that. I mean, that was just taken. Yeah, from yeah. Christmas ep- episode. But um, uh, this was shocking how talented these guys were. I assume it's it is all them. I, I assume too. I mean, I you know I know about as much as, as you do about this track. <laughs> also, they just made this up as they recorded it. That's the shut really up. Oh no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, this is all just one guy. It's just all Mickey. No. It's Aboriginal throat singing where he could do the four notes at Oh, no, once. you're just kidding. I'm again. just making a <laughs> lies now. I'm ruining this podcast. You're not ruining. I just thought I had... It, it's a, when they get to the harmonies at the end. I like... I mean, that's amazing. And you must appreciate that because you are a harmony guy. I mean, you like harmonies and you're really good at putting I like a harmony on occasion. But I mean, the, what is this, a portrait? Portuguese Spanish Christmas song or something? It's, it's actually a yes B side. Is that true? No, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, I'm making up facts. I, I don't know anything about but this. these. Are I good facts that you, yeah. you can see somebody it doing was the B side to I seen all good people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how did they even put that in a in a monkey's television episode? That's cool. It's so rare and weird. And who even came up with something like that? Yeah. it's just so strange. And that's from their actually TV special. If you ever want to have uh, John Hughes come on, John Hughes, not the director. I know, I wanted to have that guy on. Yeah, too late for him. But John Hughes, my friend from Rhino Records, who is the monkeys expert and uh, their A&R guy. If you ever want to have him on, I'm sure he would do it, and he can actually tell you all these facts that I'm just making shit up about. That's the kind of shit that I actually love as well. Yeah, Yeah, no, I love backstory shit. Yeah, no, he he knows everything about every every song and every episode, and he's really like an encyclopedia. So, Well, that's the thing also. It's like... What I was saying is like the reason why people like the monkeys is because I even like my one of my favorite songs is just the stupid closing theme, mm-hmm. which is just so amazing because it's just, just even that guitar rhythm. Even the harmonies in this are amazing. I remembered as a kid go and like I was sad that it was over, mm-hmm. but I remember being like, "Wow, this is a really good song and it's serious." And yeah, I like that it's serious. And, and that's, I think, where they... These records sounded so cool, too. Might have gotten, like, a bum rap, in a sense. Because, you know, while this song, like, this is going on, they have their crazy faces in the background and stuff, so people aren't taking it as serious. Right. Which is problematic, because that song's unbelievable. Yeah. And it's and Mickey Dolan's sound... You know, and that's the other thing, too. You don't even get how good he is, because it was kind of all about Davy Jones, in a way. Yeah. In the sense that you always thought he was the singer... And Mickey would just, on occasion, sing and drum. And then it turns out he's kind of mostly the backbone, in a way, of all the songs. Is he that... still is an incredible singer. Well, that's I mean, the he, thing. Like, this we, he, album he's is like unbelievable. A, you know, he's in his mid-70s, and we were doing things. You know, Usually, if you work with older guys, you have to move the key lower because they can't hit the notes anymore. With Mickey, it's the opposite. Like We would always move things higher because you know, he's got this crazy range. Yeah, which and, is uh, surprising for somebody that's really just not known for... That yeah, you well, know, now like, on, the, on these last two records, I mean, he really did the bulk of the lead vocals, and uh, the uh, and the, some of the reviews they say Mickey Dolan's remained something of a small wonder. Yeah, they say uh, 
He's he, all these years later. He sounds cheerful and committed, singing these songs, acting out the Partridge Cuomo book of songs with gusto, and his enthusiasm is infectious. He's having a great time, as is everybody else making this record. It's hard for the listener at home not to smile too. That's that's a hundred percent true. I mean, he he he's fun to work with. He he has the exact right attitude about it when he comes in the studio and wants to enjoy it. And um, yeah, yeah, I mean, well, that's the so there it is. I mean, how did you get involved with produce? Do have you? Produced an album before the Good Times album? Have you produced a Other full bands? album before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've produced a bunch of stuff. I mean, for many years. Well, first of all, I, 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 I kind of learned how to produce mostly because I wanted to figure out how to make my own stuff sound the way I wanted it to sound, and I had never been able to find a producer that I liked working with. I, I you know, early on when I was in my early twenties, I worked with a few producers and was always kind of. I, don't, I always clashed with them. You know, I had too many opinions of my own and I kind of knew what I wanted. I didn't exactly know how to get there, but I didn't want somebody else, you know, saying anything to me. So, so I just, I kind of became a producer by default. And um, I had a recording studio for many years in New York where I would do my own band stuff, but also I started producing um, other bands and I, I produced like, uh, you know, especially in, in kind of the, late 90s and early 2000s I was doing more record production I did a record with They Might Be Giants and um, I did uh, a record with a band called The Verve Pipe and I did uh, I did a bunch of records that, I did a record with Motion City Soundtrack after that which was cool because that was like they did half of it with Rick Ocasek who's one of my heroes oh, and then half of it with me so that was cool it's funny I was going to mention Rick Ocasek when he started producing like Weezer and stuff like that it, yeah I mean I think everybody that Produces, they kind of fall into it because they're they just are trying to make the record that they hear in their head. And you see, but it's funny with you many times when you clash with the producer, um, you know, and you think you have it all, it it doesn't work out, you know, because of like this guy's crazy or whatever. But it seemed like you really did know your stuff. Well, I I don't know. I mean, I think there's all kinds of records where the producer and the artist didn't get along, but the record's still great. Like, I mean, legendary, yeah, like I mean, uh, XTC Skylarking. Is one of my favorite records, and Todd Rundgren apparently and Andrew Partridge just hated oh, yeah, each other. Oh yeah, I saw the documentary on that. Yeah, yeah. and th- you know they didn't get along at all. But I think that despite that fact, their combination of skills was because they was wanted meant- an American producer, right? Wasn't that something? And they're like, well, let's go with this guy. I, okay. I don't know. I don't know much about how they ended up together, but it's a there's a documentary. Yeah, on yeah. that record or just the XTC one. The XTC yeah, one. I saw, yeah, right. yeah. Um, but it's you know it's a fantastic record, and so sometimes it's you know that 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 combination works despite the fact that there's tension or whatever. But um, so I, I start, I started, I started doing more record production and, and just learning my way around the studio and stuff. But, but uh, I always came at it more from a songwriter perspective. I kind of felt like if you got the material together before you started making the record and you really had a batch of strong songs that it was really hard to fuck up the record. You know the problem. The problem was more if you went in with weak material or unfinished material, and then you tried to make something out of it, and you're kind of like trying to fix something that's not really fixable. So that's interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that's mostly what people are responding to is is the songs, and even if it's not the best mix in the world, or if if the guitar sounds not perfect, you know, I'm not trying to make like Steely Dan records or something. I mean, it's you know, it's okay if it sounds a little bit raw whatever but people are those guys were angry for years because they were like we can't recreate everything right right no i mean there there's there there are records that are i love because they're so meticulous like that but with the monkeys record it was really i mean they're classic records were made 
just by having great songs and great players and having them go in the room. And you well, know. how did you get involved with this one? Who approached you? So my friend John John Hughes, who's now my friend. I mean, when right, he that's first, what I'm saying. He yeah, he he um, knew stuff I had done before with my own bands and with other people, and and uh, and uh, obviously, yeah. Uh, that thing you do is sort of a reference for the monkeys. Favorite song of all time. Oh, oh thank you very much. But, but I mean, that, I have lots of questions about that, but I'm not going to do that this week. Well, anyway, <laughs> that, you know, because of that, obviously, over the years, I've gotten a lot of calls for things that are sort of Beatles adjacent. That makes so much <laughs> sense, right? And yeah. You, I mean, it just because I, I must. Yeah. That song, when I explain it to people, it's as if I don't know. I think you. I heard you won a contest or something for that or whatever. I mean, it, was, it wasn't literally a contest. It was just the typical thing that they do for movies, where they they're looking for a song and they kind of put the word out through music oh, publishers and stuff, and they get a lot of submissions. It's not like there was a poster on a the wall, <laughs> the the wall in the gym or something. But I, uh, my theory, because I, yeah. you haven't actually told me the theory, but um, is that they said we need a song that we can play over and over again that you're never going to get sick of. And somehow you invented that song. I mean, that song must be played 30 times through the movie, and I never get tired of it. And I don't think anybody who watches it... I mean, I've seen that movie over 100 times, probably. Oh, my God. I enjoy the movie itself. It's a good movie, yeah. And let alone, that song is just amazing. But it really is a they, good movie. They did it's not fun. tell anybody that at the beginning. I mean, they, That's what I always think it is, because no, that the song only, is amazing. Oh, thank you very much. The, the only information I had at the time was that they had the title, and they said it was going to be a movie... Is set in 1964, and it was going to be about this American band that was kind of obviously imitating the Beatles yeah. and influenced by the Beatles, and they have this one hit, and that was it. And and uh, the wonders, yeah. So it was a very lucky break for me at the time. I had no real credits on that scale, of course. Did and, you do any of the other songs in it, or is it just that one? Did I you have do the, there's I have, a party going on, or is that no? You I, I actually have two other songs in the movie, but they're not even on the record. They're like buried in the background of a couple. Like you wouldn't. Oh, I you missed them. Do the, the first. end credits one? No, no, I didn't. I didn't really write any of the other prominent songs in that movie. You really didn't need to. No, <laughs> I was like, that's it. I'm done, <laughs> fellas. I mean, it, 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 it is an amazing song. It, I mean, and I, I don't. I could spend an entire podcast just on this. How amazing this song is! I mean, when you're asked to write a pop song, you're asked to say, "We need a catchy tune." Yeah. It's affected my life in many ways. That song, um, number one in '96. When that movie come out in '96? '96, yeah. Um, me and this guy Rob Paravonian, who's like a comic musician. Yeah. Um, we used to sing it at Catch a Rising Star together. He knew all the chords. Oh my god! And we used to sing it together and do the harmonies. Um, I used to have a show called The Loft. It was people who come to my apartment, like Richard Belzer, Joy Behar, and people oh, like cool. that. And, and at the end, when everybody was fed up and done and they didn't want to see anymore, we would just go on stage and sing that song. And we, and we just, because we wanted to. Oh. And if you chose to stay, you know, that's like, very cool. We loved that song. And then it's like, even, you know, I made a movie about the cars, I told you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That um, only several people have seen. <laughs> and in the movie, I have um what was the guy from uh, Electro Records um whoever the guy from Electro Records who got the cars uh, uh, I can't remember his name at the time cuz the movie I made the movie 10 years ago. Yeah. Um he says I want something poppy and catchy cuz uh, he hated Panorama. That's oh, yeah. what it was. He hated Panorama. He's like this is bullshit. <laughs> I want something catchy and then you know they then they make shake it up and it's like all right that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, it's just like that thing you do. I want something I want something, something poppy, something peppy. So, right. All right. I quit. I quit. I quit. You know, like it's right, exactly right. what he's saying, and it's just funny because even though that's uh, we're, both of the stories I'm telling are fantasies, 
You actually did it. You made this song that is so ridiculously catchy and poppy, and that was your job. And you and it's a, it's a, I'm fascinated by it. I, I don't, yeah, thank you very much. Um, do you know how hard that is to do to actually when somebody says I want something poppy and catchy. I mean that it's, it's almost it's fruitless. But many people, nobody can do that. Many people, it's very many, rare. many people can do that. It's, it's very rare. But, but but thank you. I'm sorry, I didn't. No, no, go it's off okay. Pace. It's, it's okay. Just that, that song really means so much to me. As does that movie, and I used to have this joke about it, which um, even the tell was like, it's funny, but do you have anything from like now, not just 20 years ago? And I'm like, no, that's my material from 20 years. The entire <laughs> right. podcast is made right. of stuff from 30 years ago. Because the gag was, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the movie in the sense of the director's cut. Oh, I don't think I've seen the director's oh, cut. Oh, well, that's the best part is that, first of all, this movie, which is a, a delightful movie. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, there's a two hour and 30 minute version. Oh, my God. Which is the director's cut. Yeah. The Tom Hanks director's cut, yeah. where it turns out his character is gay. Did oh, you my God. That? Are you, is that real? Yeah, I swear to God it's real. Oh, I'm not, it sounds like a joke, right? And then they're so like, was, you know what? Let's not put this in the well, movie. Well, that's the best part. It's like I was always saying in the in the director's cut, which nobody believed me was a thing. Uh, like they just have shots of him. Uh, he, Him and Howie Long, you know, the football player, yeah. are dating. Oh, really? <laughs> so they have pictures of him. You know what? It's funny because they, for many years they've talked about turning that movie into a Broadway show and it's, it's oh that never, makes so much sense it's never happened yet but they should bring that oh it's plot, going they to. should bring that plot line back for the oh, Broadway show I mean uh. like that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah so I would always say that the director's cut Tom Hanks is blowing Howie Long and, the, and they're always like why are we doing this like, just keep rolling it's for the director's cut don't worry about it <laughs> like, that was the gag <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just so, so strange that you, I mean, and there's like an hour of extra footage that they just do, and I can watch every minute of it, and you see why they took it out. It's like anything else, but um, right. it's, uh, you That's know, I worship the movie, so I'll look at any other extra footage, you know. Yeah. Have you ever seen the director's cut of Superman 2? I've never seen any director's cut of anything, I don't think. You, do you remember Superman 2? Did you like it as a kid? I, mean, I, I think that I did. I couldn't tell you anything about it. Christopher Reeve and everything. You yeah, know. no, I mean, I, I saw those movies. There's an people. amazing director's cut by Richard Donner. Is that with Otisville? Otisburg? Yeah. No, no, that's the first one. Oh, that's the first one. Okay. Yeah. Otisburg? Yeah. <laughs> it's a tiny little place. Tiny little place. Yeah, right. Um, there's a director's cut with a very angry Richard Donner uh-huh. uh, who's just like, these motherfuckers are going to learn a lesson in respect in movie making. I swear to God, he's like opens it. He goes, I don't know what they were thinking. And it's an entirely different movie. Oh. He has all this extra footage and it's amazing and it goes a complete different direction. Yeah. And, and it, like it opens with Lois Lane figuring out that Clark Kent is Superman, which is actually... Duh! Like, right. if you're gonna be a top-notch reporter, you're an <laughs> idiot. You know? like, you're like, never seen them together. Yeah, and I remember she Wait, take oh, those glasses it, it off takes like an hour into the second movie for right. her to be like, I got a hunch about you. I mean, so at least it, uh, that's an interesting thing. But anyway, besides all that, yeah. Um, so you were asked to produce uh, by your friend uh, John Hughes, who you met. Who at the time, I, I actually, you know, he just sort of called me out of the blue. I didn't know him, but he, but he, he. He asked me to come in. He said, would I be interested in possibly doing this monkeys thing? And I went in and met with him and uh, Andrew Sandoval, who manages the monkeys, and uh, a couple of other people from Rhino. And we talked about it. And then it took a while to, to get it rolling. But, but I was just like, what was your, for, I'm talking about good times. Yeah. What was the plan to make it the way it came out? Well, like, John, what, John's idea, this was totally John's idea. But he said, you know, we have all this stuff in the, in the archives of them. And we, I think it would be cool 
to do some kind of combination of finishing some unfinished tracks from 50 years ago and using some Davy Jones vocals that we still have that we don't have tracks for and also just recording some new stuff and getting some new songs in. And so that's what the record ended up being. I mean, so, and, and my, my assignment with that record was sort of try to make something that sounded cohesive, even though some of the tracks were recorded in 1967 <laughs> right. and some of the tracks were recorded in 2015. And, and never know. Yeah. And so I was trying to make them all sound like they belonged on a record together. And, and, but there was all this cool stuff that they gave me to, to sift through. And so the first part of it was just like listening to all these old recordings and, and, uh, and also at the same time, listening to demos that people were sending in, you know, for, with new songs, trying to get on the record. Um, so it was super fun. Like the yeah, whole, I mean, the whole process to, was really fun. What made you decide to go to these particular guys in the sense of Rivers Cuomo, or did they come to you? Um, it was a group effort. You know, John reached out to some people. Oh, John, he reached out to the, on our, at our first meeting, he already had uh, a song from Ben Gibbard from Death Cab for Cutie, which which ended up on the record. He, he gave, I think he did, I think he wrote two. I don't know. There were there were a few demos that he had already solicited from people, or just reached out to people, and then I reached out to some people. Um, but yeah, that was kind of a group effort. But but the one thing I would say is like pretty much anybody that we approached said they wanted to uh, do I was it. Just gonna say Not everybody ended up delivering, but sure. everybody at least said, yeah. um, oh, you know, we're in. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I definitely well, want to I take mean, a shot at that. That's the thing. I mean, we, these guys were our heroes. Mm -hmm. I mean, it makes so much sense. It's mm -hmm. uh, Mickey Dolan's uh, or Mike Nesmith even because that's probably, you know, he always had some problems. Uh, you know, I guess being a monkey, maybe he considered it ruining his career in many ways. I don't know, but I mean, yeah, I think in some ways Mickey was the only one that wasn't conflicted about it ever. He's just is like, that hey, true? This is a cool oh no, gig. no, not Mickey. I'm talking about uh, uh, the uh, oh, Nesmith. Nesmith. No, I think. What did I say? Did I yeah, say Mickey? I think, I'm sorry. I meant Nesmith. No, no, you did say Nesmith. Oh, but I'm saying I think Mickey was yeah, the he only was, no, one clearly involved yeah. in, in yeah, the whole he, time. He was, yeah, yeah. Nesmith, my friend, actually went to go see his country band about a, a month ago. Yeah, they've been out <laughs> playing there. And I was like, really? You know. Yeah, I mean, uh, but it seems like when you have these people that are like, I would love to do it, mm -hmm. he came back because he's like, well, if these people respect us so much that I respect, this is really good deal. Yeah, I mean, he was on the first record. Um, I was a little scared to meet him because I had heard like, oh, you know, he's just does his own thing. And he's and but he I think he kind of warmed up to me after I, we, I went up to his house in Monterey with um, John and we just had an initial meeting. And I talked to him, and and then um, as we started getting into the record, he started getting more and more interested and involved. And he ended up doing a lot of cool stuff on that record, and and playing and singing. Yeah, you know, I did a, um, I made a, I had a script I've been trying to pitch for years about the beginnings of MTV, which makes, of course, the most sense in the history of the planet, which I can't believe nobody's done before. Oh yeah, and I uh, was doing it with. Um, I just have it. It's sitting here because it's a some, that story needs to be told. It's a fascinating. Yeah. And of course, Mike Nesmith is a huge part of it. Oh yeah. Because they came to him and said, you know, we went, and then he was like, and he's like, hey, we're doing this thing called Empty. It's gonna be amazing. We're using your stuff because look at what you've done. You've actually created music video. And he's right. like, yeah, go fuck yourselves, you fucking pricks. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I swear to God, that's what he did. Like, and then uh. we, you know, we just have him by the TV going like, son of a. Bitch. <laughs> I mean, you know, he, yeah, he's a major part of it because he he really. The monkeys, in many ways, be, I mean, kind of created music video in the sense of their And then also, then, then MTV resurrected the monkeys. Yeah, that's right. right, and that's where a lot of people. Yeah, they had that uh, second wave of monkeys. Me, yeah, airings in the eighties. The eighties, yeah, them, yeah. And they were huge. I saw them not originally, but in the repeats they aired on Saturday mornings on seventies, mm -hmm. um, and that's where I think I saw them. I don't remember them that much. I think when I was growing up. Yeah, I'm older than you, but. Um, 
I, uh, yeah. Um, I don't remember what I was going to say. It was something good. Uh, <laughs> um, monkeys. Uh, monkeys? Oh, <laughs> right, right, the monkeys. <laughs> no, oh, it was about Nesmith. Right, right, right. So, well, let's get this. So this, um, the Christmas Party album, which is yeah. a great title. It's just the most obvious. That nobody's, <laughs> nobody's ever called the album Christmas I, My album pitch Christmas for the Party. advertisement, I wanted to call it, Jesus Christ, it's the monkeys. <laughs> there oh, you go for that. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been brilliant, of course. And I think the monkeys would have appreciated yeah. it. Oh, and that's the thing. Is Peter Tork, he's not well? I don't know. Yeah, yeah I think I think he's not in the best health. I, I really wasn't yeah, privy to the I details meant, yeah. of yeah. what's going on with him. But, uh, you know, he contributed this one track. Um, yeah, and, and so the thing is, when you told me about it, I didn't know it, it had just came out. I mean, maybe the day you told me about yeah. it. And I listened to the whole album on my way to go see my mother down the turnpike, you know. Yeah. And I couldn't believe how entertaining it was i haven't listened to a whole album just listening to it in years oh cool um i listened to good times but i think i did it at work and you know maybe i wasn't quite i mean besides the three or four songs that i hum in my head almost on a daily basis oh yeah um this one i listened to its entirety and when it got to the Melly Kaliki, Mommy, whatever, yeah, and it was Davy Jones, which I didn't expect. Yeah, um, I was like, "This is brilliant! This is brilliant because it sounds great." Yeah, and you've included Davy Jones, who's not with us anymore, right? And and that's what it needed too, and it not in a in a weird way or a creepy way, and it just it for me that third song kind of put it together. Oh, nice! And then and made it like complete, and then. As I went further, and I kind of wanted to go through every song, if that's okay with you, yeah. in a sense, just really sure. quickly. Um, well, it's a. First of all, may I say, this is Rolling Stone says two years after their shockingly great 50th anniversary album, Good Times, which gave them their highest showing on the Billboard album chart since 1968, um, they're saying that this is, uh, you know, a miracle as well. And they give. A lot of the credit. I mean, I don't. I want to say all, but oh, to nice. you. Oh, cool. For because it's such a well-produced album and put together, and it's uh, it's fascinating. I mean, I, I mean, I don't even know how you begin to do that. I I, I know uh, the first song, um, is "Unwrap You a Christmas," which is the Andy Partridge song. Yeah, and which is um, terrific. And there's the best way to say that, that opening is the perfect way to open the album. Okay, yeah. it's a Christmas album. Oh, okay. Right. right exactly. And then it goes into something a little bit more yep. um, a little bit more fun and, and th- than a normal Christmas album. Yeah. Uh, which is all XTC and Andrew Partridge is Andrew, doing. Andy wrote a huge batch of songs or submitted a huge I batch of songs. I see he wrote um, about seven songs. He right, did, or something. Yeah, he wrote a, he sent in a whole bunch of Christmas uh, oh, he did I, the You Bring the Summer on Good Times. That was fantastic. Yeah, he also, I mean, he's a massive Monkees fan, and I think both of these records inspired him to write a lot of stuff. He and I wish, he, I wish we could have done more of his songs, because I'm such a big fan of his. You know, well, it's the third uh, album. Yeah. But well, I actually, he, I actually emailed him when we were talking about this, these mixes and stuff. I emailed him, and I said, you know what? Can't you just do an album of Andy Partridge Christmas songs and get people to? Oh, yeah. You know, like I mean, there's so. I mean, I'm sure you could instantly get ten artists that want to do a cover an Andy Partridge. Song I mean, would it be so bad if XTC did a Christmas album? Well, there's no XTC anymore, but they, are would, they that dead? Would be the a, other guys are dead. Nobody's no. They're not you know dead. Can't but they, they get just, together they, again they, for they, one more time? 
I think you know. I, I, I think their XTC is done being XTC, but Andy Partridge could definitely get ten acts that want to cut his songs. Yeah. Plus, but his then, name is A Partridge. Ooh. And the Pear Trees. <laughs> <laughs> that could be his you know, band or something. That. But he said he was such a fan. He won a competition in Monkey's Monthly for his caricature of Mickey Dolenz. Oh, <laughs> like nice. In the, I guess yeah, the yeah. 60s or something. Um, but he was talking about this particular song. He says, it's a very old-fashioned chord change. The melody is old-fashioned. Christmas is not a time for the avant-garde. That's his <laughs> quote. Where's that quote from? Don't is... worry about it. Oh. It's real. I didn't make it up. No, I know. <laughs> Um, he was interviewed on a podcast oh, about nice. it, which is uh, clearly recently. Nice. He said he sent them over, including one called Santa Claus Says, Can He Borrow the Monkey Mobile? <laughs> is that true? That's uh, That was one of them? Or? I don't remember that one, actually, but I'm sure it's true. It sounds true. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, that's a terrific song. The next one is The Rivers Cuomo, What Would Santa Do? Yeah. So this song was actually... Go ahead. You want... Oh, no. I... <laughs> All these songs just sound, they even open just great. Great lyrics, too. Anything that starts with Bah Humbug. That's Mickey Dolan's, right? Yep. Sounds amazing. Totally. I don't want to spoil it because I want people to buy the album (laughs) and cut the chorus off. Well, that's you know, then it leaves you wanting more. Exactly. What were we going to say about this? this So this song, this is great. I'm so happy. Uh, um, This song was originally called "What Would Buddha Do," and I think it was probably something he wrote for Weezer or something. But it was he had sent in a bunch of songs, and there was this song "What Would Buddha Do," and I think it was John Hughes who actually said. I wonder if he would change that to Santa. So um, I emailed Jonathan Daniel, who is my friend, who is Rivers' manager now and was Fountains of Wayne's manager uh, briefly. But anyway, I said, you know, do you think Rivers would be open to rewriting this as a Christmas song? And so he asked Rivers, and Rivers immediately was like, oh, hell yeah. It, and so he went back and did a whole lyric pass, of, you know, made it a Christmas song. I mean, the lyrics are completely different, but the structure of the song was exactly the same. It's, it just it immediately reminded me of that Simpsons episode where Krusty asks the Red Hot Chili Peppers to change some of their lyrics. And yeah. they're like, no, man, we don't change our lyrics. And he goes, no, how about this? I just want to hug and squeeze you. And, and he goes, yeah, that's actually okay. You know, like, <laughs> right. <laughs> that's no, the Rivers, first thing I went to when you said that. Rivers is uh, not precious at all about this stuff. And, and he was like, oh, yeah, cool, totally. Like, you know, and, and went back and... And then he and then he did a, a couple of revisions on it after that. And then his original demo of it was very kind of Weezer esque with like, you know, like kind of power chords. And and so I I tried to simultaneously make it sound yeah, I was more say, 60s. How did you choose to? Oh, because you're trying to make it more monkeys. Well, I wanted to a make it more monkeys and b make it sound like a Christmas song. So it was like combination of. 60s retro kind of parts instead of modern rock and yeah, and then adding like you know sleigh bells and chimes and stuff I know but that's still fascinating where you get something that you I mean this is what producing is when you're producing yeah. a song like this but to be able to take what you're given and then change it around to make it sound 
terrific like this and Christmassy and you have so many things to do. Not only it's not it's so it's, it's an extra step then in good times because yes you have to make it sound monkeys as like something they would eh, see yeah. in the sixties. Then make it more modern so it clashes with both things yeah. and then the Christmas part. Right. Then It'd sprinkle the Christmas dust. Hey, you know if you're if nothing else at least just put the sleigh bells in. I mean right. You, you well, that's the easy way out. <laughs> right. But, uh, but yeah, boy, that's and he, and he yeah. came with that came at you with the uh, the usual Weezer chords. That's a. Uh, yeah, but as usual, it was a super catchy song right away. I mean, it, and you know, how do you do that? Just, I mean, this is a standard question from somebody yeah. who doesn't, lots of people who don't know the process. Yeah. I mean, how does that work if you take one song at a time in particular, this song, do you write it down or do you have musicians with you at the time that you're working with? Like you said, you usually come to the table with it already kind of ready to go. So um, well, in, in this case, what we did was... Um, I was cutting the basic tracks with um, Brian Young playing drums and Michael Eisenstein, uh, my friend who's a guitar player. He was in the band Letters to Cleo, and I was playing bass. And so we would just go in the room. We we would go and listen to the demo, talk about it, and then we'd say, "What can we do with this? What you know? Oh. Let's try some different grooves, try some different feels." And I think it's not that different from what bands do when they're trying to just work up their own material. I mean, you know, you hear all these stories about how like. I don't know, you know, Sting would bring in Roxanne, but it was like a bossa nova, you know? And then they were like, well, what if we did this and put the kick here and we, you know, put the emphasis on the guitar in this like reggae spot and whatever. It's just, you can take the same song and turn it into a lot of different things. I was going to reference Sting before because he used to come to the table with everything already done. And then I was wondering how open he was to, I mean, from what I, at least the synchronicity album, I know they said he just, he came with everything. I think, I mean, from what I read, because I was a huge police fan, and, yeah, you know, I, me too. I, I'm a big fan of his songwriting, and I think that um, there were a lot of songs, especially early on, where the band really changed. He brought in the great melody, and he brought in the, the chords, but then they all fucked with it. And yeah, I just wasn't sure how open he yeah. was, because what think, I've heard from that right, fighting of... Well, I think later on, especially in Synchronicity, it seems like maybe he had more concrete ideas and was doing demos that were more elaborate and you know that's the problem with doing demos in general is if you put all your creative energy into doing a demo I mean these days there's almost nothing there's almost no such thing as a demo because everybody has pro tools everyone has these very sophisticated uh, ways of recording by themselves yeah you can hear it on the Howard Stern show when they're doing parodies it's amazing people in their houses yeah 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 I mean that's that's so um, you know if you put all your creative energy into the demo then and then the record becomes let's try to reproduce the demo or beat the demo. That's a bad place to be in. So it's it's better to just kind of do it the first time, you know, when you're when you're first it's all fresh to you and you're excited about it. When when you were making this album, did you had all the songs or you, you know, maybe you had twenty songs and you left a couple off or did did you just have these uh, uh for the for the monkeys record? Yeah. We didn't record more than we needed. There there was actually one song that we kind of started and didn't finish but other than that we didn't we didn't do a lot of ex, extra work because it's a christmas record and you know everybody's schedules were tight and it was, it was more just like let's just pick the songs and do the songs and try to get it done but i was gonna say does it like does each song take a day or uh probably all told it does but we don't really do it start to finish like that i mean normally we would go in and in a day and cut two or three basic tracks and then maybe that evening we would do a little bit overdubbing or something i like to i like to start working at like 11 a.m. or something and 
come in, cut a bunch of basic tracks, and then maybe take a dinner break, and then do a little bit after dinner of just adding some stuff. But, but we and Mickey, Mickey likes to only sing one or two things per day, and he likes to sing later in the day. So we that would schedule, sense. we would schedule stuff around that so that we could come in and do some stuff in the afternoon and then he would show up at three and then he would sing at four and sing till seven or eight or nine or whatever he felt like doing yeah especially when you're that old i mean in the sense i mean you have to make you have to do when your voice is going to be it's, yeah well, he must know but yeah now, he knows he I mean, all singers have a a sweet spot where they know they can do their best in the studio did you see that really sad davy jones documentary I, I didn't um, see uh, it. No. His last album that he put together, mm. he just he, it was over. You know, he's just, mm-hmm. his voice was gone, everything was gone. But his friends were very polite. Yeah, and um, it, it's it's sad. Oh yeah, uh, I mean, it was really really sad, really really depressing. And and the worst part is, this guy he was just screaming for his father, daddy, because it was oh, the album was called Songs My Dad Would Have Sang or something like oh, that. Oh Remember, I mean, everybody knows his dad hated him. Oh, like so that was the worst part. He was like, "What? What's the matter with you? Just you know, relax. You know, your dad didn't like it. It's over." Oh, I don't know. That's uh, I don't mind about that. Anyway, um, <laughs> but then oh, um, uh, the Meli Kali what? Meli Kalikamaka. <laughs> and this is the Davy Jones. So one that da- was yeah, so we here. took this vocal because. Yeah, no, I had a meeting. You yeah. can always talk yeah. over it. That's okay. Melikalikimaka is the thing to say. Yo, how did you? So we we he had rec- he put this song out. Oh, actually, in uh, a solo album, but was yeah, it, was that but released? That, in some way, it was released. I don't know, but but you know, not widely, I guess, or not widely enough for us to not use it again. So right, we, right. We took this vocal and re- we used certain elements from his track, and then I cut a new basic track and then uh, tweaked his vocal a little bit. Yeah, I like it a lot because yeah, it's, it's cool. not it's not normal Christmassy and that's right. what makes it's the Hawaii. album it's really Christmas. fun and interesting. Yeah. And um Oh yeah, it says well this says it was recorded in the nineties, is that true? I, I think that's right, yeah. Well the vocal was, yeah. And yeah, the and the slide I used this his original uh slide guitar pedal steel and and uh and the that's some, where you back, do the some background vocals. music. Yeah. Thing? Which yeah. is perfect because it's a Hawaiian song. That's what it means Merry yeah, Christmas yeah. in Hawaiian, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the obvious thing. Now now we get to the House of Broken Gingerbread, which is the song you wrote. I co-wrote, yes. Yes, co-wrote with... Where'd you find this guy? Mike, Michael Shabon, um, who is um, an incredible novelist that I've been a fan of for many years. Yeah, how'd you and get in... We, we became buddies on Instagram, actually. It's a very Shut modern up. story, but um, he was... I, I, you know, he was posting about the monkeys, and he really liked the last record. And I can't, I can't remember if he first messaged me or I first messaged him I can't remember but somehow we ended up like you know DMing each other on Instagram and 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 just you know be saying oh I'm a fan I'm a fan blah 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 and, and then I said hey well if you ever if you ever feel like writing a song together let me know and he actually he he's worked as a lyricist before I mean he loves oh, he he, yeah he loves music and he's written and he actually has written with Mark Ronson and he's like done some some lyric writing before um, so I hit him up when we started talking about this Christmas record and I said do you want to want to take a stab at uh, writing a Christmas song for the monkeys. He said, oh, my God. And he wrote the lyrics like that day, I think. You know, he just went – because for him, I mean, compared to writing a novel, it's like, oh, I can just write a song, you know. And so he he knocked something out really quickly, which was great. And, um, and I, I, you know, I went and did it – took his – he just gave it to me basically as a poem – and, uh, so you, you pulled uh, an Elton John, and he was your uh, yeah. Great for for me, that's great because for me, lyrics are the hard part, and the music is kind of the easier part. Or at least, I, if somebody, if I write lyrics, or if somebody gives me lyrics, I have faith that 
I will figure out a way to do something musically with them eventually. It might take me a couple tries, but um, but he wrote this thing about uh, you know like a divorced family's Christmas and and uh, I, I, I I still am not sure Mickey knows that's what the song's about because I've read some <laughs> interviews and Mickey's had given a couple quotes where he's just like, man, these lyrics are so trippy. Yeah, that's what he said. Know, trippy. Right? Yeah, these are crazy well, lyrics. They are trippy, but I'll tell you though. Um, right. And I played this on uh, like a previous podcast when I first heard this. Is the yeah. one I played. Um, and I got a friend who was like, "Wait, that's an amazing song!" They and he remembered the lyrics, which is rare sometimes. Like yeah. when you hear it a first or second time, yeah. and he's just like, "Oh my God, the, the misfit toys just turned their heads, and the Christmas uh, hanging by a thread." He, he remembered yeah, no, the all, lyrics are great, and they are amazing. And then I read about this guy. Yeah, and he said he wrote. One of my favorite movies of all time, even though they only use half of his stuff, which was Spider Man Two, <laughs> which I I knew all the dialogue on Spider Man Two. That's one of um, Pulitzer Prize, but but Spider Man Two is more important. I don't than care that. about Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> <I'm not talking laughs> Spider Man Two is one of the, I th- I've always told people it was one of the best movies I've ever seen. Right, and the dialogue in it is amazing and i know it's just a spider-man movie but right. it was one of the best it was the best superhero movie i'd seen at that time because it it had all this dialogue that was insane and a really interesting that was the best of the bunch of really interesting villain who was like you know it made sense because how do you make doc octopus yeah. like i'm like come on what are you kidding but then, <laughs> but, it, but every the way he i don't know whether it was his dealing or whatever but the, it all made sense that the way it all came together oh, not like nice. the other movies and they say they, uh, you know, uh, one of my other heroes, the uh, Sam, great Sam Raimi, mm-hmm. wanted him to work on Spider-Man Three, which I now I'm sure he wish he should have done everything he could to do it, oh. and he he didn't have time, oh. and he was like really because Spider-Man Three is maybe the worst movie I've ever oh, seen, it is. but oh. Spider-Man Two, I I knew the dialogue so well I could do it while it was on. I remember I was dating some girl and I just kept she's like. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't help myself. I have to keep doing it. And she's like, No, I like it. I'm like, You do. And I had to break up with her because that was weird. She should hate it. She should hate. <laughs> Wrong answer. Yeah. What kind of girl? That was would a like trick that? question. What kind of girl would like that? That was a trick question. And actually, I got a friend who's in it too, which is exciting. He just won our football pool this week. Oh, really? That's the scene where she's just like, she's. It's so stupid. She's in um, that. What's that? Uh, that guy. Uh, satirist. Ah, I can't remember now. A guy from the 1800s or something. Um, oh, I can't think of it. It's going to kill me now. I think he was like gay. What Oscar <laughs> Wilde? Yeah, is it Oscar Wilde? I think it is Oscar Wilde. The importance of being earnest. Or, but we're both embarrassing ourselves on this podcast. Right <laughs> anyway, now. she was like doing this thing, and then she sees, I'll never forget, she sees Peter Parker in the audience, and then she's Wait, like... I was um, in The Importance of Being Earnest. Hold you on. were? You were in a production of it? Yeah. Or were you in the Spider-Man production, like in the audience? Wait, were you in Spider-Man 2? Is that what you're telling me right now? I was Spider-Man 2. I wasn't just in it. <laughs> well, we don't know who's under that mask. Uh, yeah, Oscar Wilde. All right, so I got it right. We both got it right. Yes. All right. Whew. Good for us. Yes. And um, yeah, she, she sees Peter Parker, she just forgets her lines, and she's just, I'm like, this is the worst actress of all time, but I, I like that part too. I don't know whether he wrote that, but I don't know. Anyway, this um, song, then you added this amazing melody. These harmonies on this are amazing. As you know, um, after when this airs, we'll already have done it. But I was hoping maybe we could do this on the the show. Oh, or, sing this song! I don't know. Is that it's crazy? a hard song. I don't it know. really is hard. But it's a little harmonies, bit of a hard song. First of all, the best part, um, my favorite part, is just the opening, that bass. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> That's my favorite all the time. If you do that a hundred times, I'm going to be okay with an opening like that. And then when, oh, when you have that the harmonies in the second verse, it just go crazy. You gotta wait for the chorus this time. Oh, I, I'm, no, I'm waiting. <laughs> That's Dave singing along. Folks. Yeah, sorry, I, I sing along all the time on the show. I, I even have the auto tuner. Oh, whoa. <laughs> I do it all the time to this song as well. <laughs> you just sing along to this song. I sing along to all the songs. This is... When it... Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry if I'm not doing it justice, but I love it. I love the harmonies. It's amazing. It's I have an a friend, my song. friend Maury, who I love very much, has Jewish fellow. Yes, <laughs> um, he has a habit of like, if we're listening to music, if we're hanging out, and he's like, "Oh, I love this song." You know what this reminds me of? And then he thinks of a different song and sings that song. <laughs> that's well, that's <laughs> so amazing. Instead if you can of sing actually that while this, yeah, he can playing. like he'll play the Smiths. You know what other song I love by the Smiths? And then he'll sing while the it's other, playing. Yeah, then he's kind of a genius. Yeah, then then. I say, Maury, stop <laughs> singing other songs well, during this. I could this never song. sing something during another song. I'd yeah. never be able to do that. Yeah. I don't. I'm, my brain does not work <laughs> that way. But a lot of people were saying that this, um, you know, particular song is the the best on the album. It's not just because you're here. It's not. It's oh, just what a, a lot of people. That's like a Donald Trump thing. Oh, you know, a lot of people are saying. No, no. I I, re- and I read a lot of reviews on it, oh, and they're like, cool. "This is like an amazing. It's trippy. It's good." I mean, I know yeah. Michael Dol- uh, Mickey Dolan said that, but um, it's because it's like the most interesting one in a way. It's just it goes this other direction. You're just not expecting for a Christmas song. Yeah, I was glad that we um, got to do that because let you alone know, the title itself, even you know, there was a little bit of a directive from the label at the beginning to just keep the whole thing sort of upbeat. You know, we got a lot of Christmas songs. People, especially like the indie rock people, they kind of like the idea of writing something dark, and we got a lot of submissions of, of songs like that that were like cool but sort of dark Christmas songs, sad Christmas songs, and and the label was like, yeah, you know, but Christmas party, hey, come on, like yeah, you know, let's keep it up. This is not an right. upbeat song, but it has this whole nother thing to it, which makes right. it almost upbeat because it's right. the melody is so amazing, and then the lyrics go this different. You know, it's fun with. Yeah. I mean, I know it's about a. The broken, you know, a broken home and all that stuff. Right, but in the lyrics with the candy it's easy cigarettes, on the air, so, yeah, it's uh, yeah. I guess it's a risk. I guess you could say, but it's a monkey's. I mean, that's what for me made it kind of fun. It's like, yeah, I don't think it's a dark song at all. Really, it's I mean, not it's, a kids' yeah. album, right? You know, you're not making right. a kids' album. You're making a Christmas album, and you're making an album for adults right. and people that are basically over forty, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. you know, and and to put something new and different in it. I mean, I think it kind of defines the album. Oh, cool. I well, didn't even you. know it was your song the first time I heard it. Oh. And, um, you know, I was just like, oh, and then I, this was the first one I went back and replayed before I listened to it. And I'm like, oh, I got to hear that one again. Because, again, the, I've uh, actually written a fair amount of holiday songs at this point in my life. Really? Well, you know, Jews write the yeah, Christmas song. But anyway. I was going to say. Um, no, I wrote, um, I did a song a few years ago 
that I wrote with uh, my friend David Javerbaum, who is a comedy writer. That's not even a real name. David Javerbaum. David Javerbaum. You know, he's he's won, uh, I think, fourteen Emmys or something. I don't think so. I think I would have known that. If <laughs> no, I was, I don't, I'm, I'm just making I'm making name. up this person and his <laughs> resume. No, he's, he's he and I uh, have worked together a lot. He used to work for The Daily Show for many years, and I'm actually surprised you haven't yeah. crossed paths with him. At that some is point. odd. Sarah knows him and stuff, but anyway, he um, he and I wrote this song called "Text Me Merry Christmas." Um, like I can't remember exactly four or five years ago, and it was uh, done by Kristen Bell and uh, oh. and and a group called Straight No Chaser. That's like an acapella group, so it's an acapella thing with Kristen Bell, and and um, it did kind of well for a holiday song. I mean, it didn't turn into like you know the next White Christmas, but like sometimes I'll be in like a Dwayne Reed or a Rite Aid, and I'll, I'll still hear it around oh, the holidays. Like I'm in, like, hey, um, I'm on the holiday rotation at the drugstore, like in about a boy. Yeah, Grant movie yeah, his, that's what you his want. Dad wrote that uh, Santa's sl- super sleigh. You only need one of those. The, yeah, right. You only <laughs> need one. Said. We didn't but quite get there. Odd that it didn't, because at that, I assume at that time, Kristen Bell singing was on fire because of Frozen. I mean, the video on YouTube has millions of views. It's like kind of a big. And she's it, kind of a big deal. Yeah, she's kind of a big deal, and it's a, it's a cute song. Um, so, and uh, who knew she could sing until Frozen came out? Nobody even knew. Nobody even thought of her like that. I think that kind of jumped her career to this other next level. I know. You know, it's funny. I was, um, uh, I was at a nursery school benefit in Los Angeles. My friend, uh, my friend. <laughs> oh, I guess that makes sense. My friend who has <laughs> kids at this school. His kids are at this school in LA. It was, it was nursery school or elementary school or something. He said, you know, we're having this holiday benefit, and. Um, Kristen Bell was there singing to the kids, singing the Frozen songs, but the kids don't fucking know that that's the actual person. <laughs> oh my God, you know? they don't even get the it. The kids right. aren't even paying attention. They're like, oh, there's that lady singing the songs from Frozen that we all are They don't up. even appreciate They the don't fact appreciate that, it. Wow. Like, yeah, because her kids are Yeah, go figure that she has such this great voice and stuff to yeah. be that pretty and then yeah. have it. It's not even fair, really, not to anybody fair. else. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you remind being, me of Kristen Bell. Really? Yeah, lot, Come yeah. on. You're just, just saying that, right? Just the look and the sound. The That's image. why I started watching The Good Place. Well, I like Ted Danson, too. And then it turned <laughs> out to be kind of a fun show. Like, yeah. really fun show. I'm like, all in. Yeah. Um, and then you did the Christmas song. What made you decide to use the, uh, you know, the old school of, you know, use one of the classics? That was that, a Nesmith just... That's what he wanted to do. You know, oh, he, he wanted to do yeah, that. He, yeah, he picked the two that he wanted to do, and no one was going to tell him different. And I actually did not produce this track. He, he did this with... Uh, I saw that. Yeah. His uh, son? Yeah, his son. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how does that happen in the sense where does that make you angry? Because, no, it's because fine. Because you produced the album. So does it bother you that this kid's like, hey, hey, don't worry about it. I'm going to take this. I'm going to do this myself. You know, that was just... I mean, you're a he, nice person, but I'm saying if it had, if it if it had come in and sucked, I would have said something. But it turned out to be great, so okay, there was yeah. no problem. You know what I mean? It, it is, took it some is, work off my plate, so it was. It fine. is good, and it fits the album. Yeah, and, and he sounds great on it. He but does. That, sound that's good. what he wanted to do. So it is like the. Uh, it did a nice arrangement, like that "Don't Call on Me" song he did in like one of the albums and stuff. Like I, his stuff was always more mellow and depressing yeah. than everybody else's. Yeah. I, but yeah, I was think I heard his son. Um, his son, you know, took a two both of them, right? It was, was yeah. Silver Bells was the other one, or uh, Silver Bells is Davy Jones. Oh, uh, Jones. So that's so, another one I worked on. He did. Um, uh, what's the other Nesmith song on here? Uh, oh, see. Snowfall. Yeah, he did Snowfall. Also, which another really cool production. Well, is Snowfall a classic or is it a new song? I don't know that one. It's not know. new. 
Oh, it's not, not new. No, so, no. so he just picked classics. He chose. He didn't want to try something different. He was not interested in. Did you offer? No, we to- we actually and there was one song. The one song that I mentioned to you that we recorded and then didn't finish was a song that he was supposedly going to sing. And I, th- I think there was a little bit of misunderstanding because we had thought he had heard the demo and said, "Yeah, I'll do it." But when we when we produced the track, it was written by uh, uh, Bethany Constantino from the band called Best Best Coast. It's kind of a cool, uh, you know, like newer band. And it was a great song, and it was called Christmas Miracle, and we recorded it for Nesmith to sing. And then he just decided he wanted to do this instead, so it was a bummer. Um, mm. So, you know, at some point, maybe we'll this finish that track. like a troublemaker. Yeah, you know, it's bands. Bands yeah, are bands. I don't know. And then we have uh, the Christmas Party song, which is, this is the guy it's from R.E.M.? Pe- yeah, Peter Buck and uh, Scott McCoy came down, and they we cut this one with them. And on that same day, they also added a few things to some other tracks. They, they, there's the, also this big star cover of the song "Jesus Christ." Alex yeah, Jordan. I didn't care for that one, uh, you know, because my mother doesn't like that song. Oh no, <laughs> okay, no, she does not. It's actually a problem. Um, Your mother? Okay. It, no, it's just, you know, why'd you pick that one? Because it's called. I got a problem with that because my mother would never let me get a Christmas album. My entire life. Oh. And, and this is probably why, because there's a song called Jesus Christ. She's, she hates Jesus. Oh. Uh, you know, it's, she uh, hates Jesus. She's yeah. a Satanist. I mean, yeah. No, <laughs> she's reverse prejudice. Right. Um, everybody knows that about um, Rona. You know, that's a weird, cool song, that Jesus Christ song, because it turns like, out it's really interesting, but it's funny. I mean, it does. My mother has got my head, and it, it you know, I was like, well, is this necessary? You know, because <laughs> you want to make a non denominational kind of album in a way, and then it's you not put non-de- the song non-de- non denominational. It's called Christmas Party. It's know, not called like Holiday Party. Yeah, that's so, true. I mean, a, I don't care. It doesn't bother up. me when a Christmas album has Christmas songs, but then it's just something called Jesus Christ. I right. Know, but the funny thing is, if you know the history of that song at all, like it was written by Alex Chilton and they put it on this big star record. They weren't like a Christian rock band. I mean, nobody knew if he was just taking the piss with that song or if it was for <laughs> real. Like he just put out this song called Jesus Christ and he's like, what? Yeah, I don't you know. Do I even know that? I know. See, it sounds good already and I didn't want to like it because, you know, I'm, it's I'm a great song. It's, and it's weird like it. that they, if you listen to their version, it starts out with this weird mariachi stuff. It's like, or something. Oh, and it's Mickey Dillon's coming out. Every song. R.E.M. used to cover this song, too. R.E.M. did? Yeah, a lot of people have covered this song. It's like a, you know, people that are into Big Star. Jesus Christ was born today. See, I can't listen to this album with my mother in the room. That's a, that's a, This is what I think about. She, you don't understand. All I wanted was all the Partridge Family albums. And the Partridge right. Family came out with a Christmas album I wasn't allowed to buy. It. Uh, this still makes me angry to this day. Listen, this is I, why I never made it. I mean, I'm a total atheist. <laughs> I produced this record. Like, tell her to g- give it a rest. Well, good luck. Yeah. You try it then. Exactly. Well, she might be there on, on you know Monday night at the show, so maybe you can tell her. Yeah, hey, why don't you give it a rest, Rhoda? <laughs> Come on, Rhoda. <laughs> sit down. But um, You're preaching to the choir here. The we, Christmas choir. Uh, what do I want to say about that Jesus Christ song? Uh, oh, damn it. Now we can't remember. It was... Oh, crap. We were listening to... We were talking about uh, the other the Christmas party song. So those guys, Peter Buck and Scott McCoy... Did, oh, like, that's what I was yeah. going to ask. Like, yeah. Were they the only ones that showed up, showed up in the sense of the ones that wrote it and came by to help record it as well? Because it seemed like the other guys just sent it in. Um, you said they yes, came by, Yes, in this right? case, they. I mean, S- S- Scott was very psyched to play on the record and then said Peter was, and 
we were psyched to have. Oh, is that made... the picture that I have? What's the um? What's this photo? Yeah, yeah. They... So this photo is in that day in the studio. They're there. So it's Jody Porter, who's my Fountains of Wayne com- uh, compatriot. Right. Uh, that's me. That's John Hughes from Rhino. Oh, um, right. Yeah, this they, is of uh, course that's John Hughes from Rhino. That's yeah, this you know. is Mark. This <laughs> the one is, guy that doesn't look like he plays an instrument. This is Mark Mark Pincus, who's the president of Rhino, Mickey Dolans, and then Brian Young, who's the drummer from Fountains of Wayne, who played on this stuff, and then Peter Buck and Scott McCoy. So I'm so glad you're still friends with you know with, with your boys. I'm friends with um, most of them. Yeah. Well, you know how it is with musicians. Yeah. A lot of times um, you can't talk forever. I mean, yeah. with those brothers from Oasis, we were talking about. Look, I have a picture of the cover of the album too. It's so great. Yeah. It's so terrific. I mean, it's just it's a Christmas tree, and the monkeys like are underneath with a lot of their toys that we had as kids. Yeah, yeah. Underneath like the lunch boxes and yep, stuff. Yep. It's it's so pretty. It's really colorful and nice, and um, I really like it a lot. But uh, yeah, this Christmas song one is. Um, I like this is the one that has. The one that has them talking at the beginning? No. Oh, no, no. This is Christmas. Oh, this is not Christmas. Yeah, that's sorry. The, oh, sorry yeah. for, I got it wrong. It's Christmas party. Yeah. That's the audio oh. from that. Oh, that's so funny. I, I didn't even notice that that was the same one I was... That's great. Yeah. What a great idea. How'd, they even, how'd you even know about like doing something like that to come up with that audio like that? I mean... You know, I had the Christmas episode, and John Hughes said, you can use any of this stuff if you want to. I mean, we own it all now, so we can, if you want to put any of this on the record. So originally, I was actually thinking of make, doing a whole thing where there's like interstitial stuff between all the songs. But yeah. I oh, between all of them yeah, or just but this I just, one? I no, got, you can't. That would ruin it, right? Some, I mean. It was just too much oh, work. Oh, interstitial stuff before, in between the You know, like, little between the, I was going to like try. It would have been horrible. No, I just got lazy, and I uh, just did the one. <laughs> um it's funny about that uh, Christmas episode because um, you know who's in that Christmas episode. Christmas episode is a good name for an album too. Well, <laughs> sounds like wait, something, something oh, horrible. Do you remember who's in that episode? Do you need to go? I need to go pretty soon. But, I know. But, we're almost wrapping yeah. up. But do you know? I'm now going to sidetrack it. Do you know who's in that episode? In the Christmas episode? The legendary person who's in that episode? The kid? Oh, um, yeah, refresh my memory, though. It's Butch Patrick. It's Eddie Monster. Oh, right, 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 right. Yes. <laughs> he plays a kid. Yeah. But he was also in this uh, show from the 70s that had this amazing opening uh, called Lidsville. Do you remember it? In the middle of the summer, in the middle of a party. Such a great groove. And then at the end, and this is, we talk about this all the time, this is when Shows had about a 20-minute opening to explain, so they only had to fill 10 minutes of stuff. That's what people had. And then it goes on. People had attention spans. Right, every week. Now the opening of a, of a show is literally they don't just even one have word. Just the credits, right? It'll yeah. be like, girls, yeah. love. I know, it's fascinating. It's like a card. You get a three-second card. But I love this, too. Butch Patrick was in this. This is cool. With Charles Nelson Riley. Oh, <laughs> I know it's it's cool, it's trippy. It's also when he falls into a magic hat, and there's all these puppets in there and stuff, and it's oh, creepy. Nice. But then you'll see at the end, it, it, somebody gave up, and now there's still more. <laughs> oh my god, this is the every, every week, week you have to watch this. Week. It's like a whole and episode. And the best part is Sarah's old boyfriend, uh, Michael Sheen. Yeah. When we would we would talk about this, he said, "Oh, I know about this one." Apparently, they when they'd send stuff over to Wales where he lived, yeah. they would only send ones that had the opening that explained 
this stuff so he knew about this one and a couple uh, of other but listen to this part this is when he's falling in the hat Jesus it's Christ. cool right <laughs> this is nuts yeah and then it gets bad then it, is now it gets bad minute opening for the show yeah then they just gave up <laughs> yeah it's it, what's it, the show it's called lidsville oh Wow. It's a living legend, and uh, you know if you're. I've done a bunch right of show age. openings that are sort of parodies of that thing, where you just tell the story of the what's happening. We actually we the, the opening of Crazy, Crazy Ex Girlfriend in season one. We've I done, remember we've done a new theme song every year, but we but but uh, the opening of season one was that. But I also my my favorite one was um, I worked on a show for VH1, uh, which which ended up really never even airing and and i think they aired it in like canada or something but this, there was a guy named joel stein there is a guy named joel stein who's a writer for time magazine and stuff and he he had sold vh1 this show a cart a cartoon show and and uh the theme song he was like i want one of those theme songs that like tells the story about what the show is and so i wrote this theme song about how it was this show about a guy named joel stein and he worked at time magazine and if the show's ratings weren't good, it was going to get canceled by VH1, and they were going to just play more Lenny Kravitz videos. <laughs> and he loved it so much. So, and it was totally true. It was exactly what happened. It's like the show just... Does that exist somewhere? Yeah, like he has it on it his website. He was like, you know, if nothing else, I ended up with this I'll play that next week, song. everybody. Yeah. Um, oh, let's just um, go, because I know you got to go. Um, you have the, I wish it could be Christmas every day. Right, so this song... Uh, was by a group, originally by a group called Wizard, and it was like a glam... Christmas song and it was a huge hit in England and in other places and the w- one of the English guys from the record company suggested it said you know this is this may not mean that much in America but in yeah, England in England it. everybody knows this song it's like huge in England and uh, it's like there's a funny video for it from this band Wizard it's almost I like a T-Rex it. kind I, of thing I saw or something. that it's, it's a yeah. live thing yeah. where the guy's dressed up as the wizard it's Roy yeah. Wood is it and yeah. and um, totally I, I saw it and it, it looks I was so surprised how fun it was yeah it's super fun and I, you know, it's a crazy song. It's got all these weird key changes and stuff. Yeah, it's so much better than I thought it was going to be. Like, because <laughs> I had never heard it, and I'm like, every time I'm like, oh, I never heard this one. And but you know what I do? I trust you. I, I didn't know the song take either. It a different we, direction. It, yeah, and it, it, it it's a cool. And then crazy we have just song. the regular silver bells, which is another. <laughs> just Davy the regular, Jones. you know. Yeah, but yeah, it's important to give him. I, he, he's. He's the voice of the monkey. Yeah, he I mean, had that's to be the on thing. He had to. And I really, I would have been okay if you had just put, um, "Girl, look yeah. what you've done to me." Yeah. Uh, and then I was very surprised at the wonderful Christmas because I've never heard anybody remake this before. I don't think I know. Like it's sort of like the monkeys doing McCartney was a weird, dangerous thing to do. Crazy, yeah. but I don't think a lot of people like this particular Christmas song. I, think I love I it. All the but McCartney you know the, the McCartney version is like, it's like a demo that he did with his synthesizers and it's Clearly. all weird. But it seems like you fixed it up and made it more we, we naked just, yeah, a little bit. put a little bit. bit of a more acoustic guitar thing. And you know, now I like this song, yeah. but I never liked the... Yeah. yeah I, I wasn't going to put it. that part in at all, but I felt like it had to have some version of it. Right, right. But I think that's why people don't like it. It's not Christmassy enough. And then there's, you know, John Lennon who wrote an amazing Christmas song yeah. that I think people compare still to this day. Yeah, that's a better one. But I, I uh, really no, like I, I love this song. Yeah. I, I have to say. I, I, I like it too. Then there's the Mike Nesmith song, but this here's the angels we have heard on high. This is the Peter Tork one. Yeah, and it's so funny because I his it's when I first heard this, and I'll just put it on. 
I was like, oh, his voice is not as strong as I'd like it to be. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I guess they just kind of gave him a, something to do. But then it, but then you get it. It's like almost like, um, I, I hope this is rude. I think rude, it's very but, touching vocal. You but know you, mean? it's almost like Sinatra where he's kind of backed up yeah. with the band and it works. And when it, and, and then I forgot, I knew this song and I love it. Yeah. And the, when it goes like that, I'm going to just put it up a little bit. Like when they, when they bring in the harmonies again, or the chorus. Yeah. I mean, that sounds great. That's all him. It is? Yeah, that's all him. Oh, he did all the harmonies? Yeah. Wow. That's very impressive. Yeah, so again, it fits in the album. Yeah. And then you have the Merry Christmas Baby, which is it's like a blues. a blues thing. Yeah. And Amazing that Mickey Dolenz can sing all this stuff. He, I know, he, he pulls, loves, this is his favorite shit to do. He loves doing the blues stuff. But he pulls in the Weezer kind of punk stuff, and then he pulls in the blues. What yeah. an amazing triumph this is for him yeah. on this album. Yeah, yeah. He's, and a great way to end the, uh, the Christmas album as well. That's what song. we thought. We thought it was a nice ending. Yeah, it's, it's a nice fun, ending. Loose, keep it loose. It's a really, really terrific album oh thank you to play in its entirety on your i want to say alexa but my thing will go off uh but you know i mean like i said in my car on the right but you know the only time i really play music in my house at this point yeah is um is during christmas time and i like to listen to the holiday music and one of my favorite albums that i always play I have I bought as a gift for you today, oh. which I think is one of the best Christmas albums of all time. I was going to buy the Monkeys one and have you sign it, but I couldn't find it in vinyl. I don't. Are they making it in vinyl? Uh, the at, one? You know, I think something happened where they couldn't get the vinyl together for this year, so they'll do it next year. But I've got you this one. Oh, that's so cool! Thanks, Vince Giraldi, Charlie Brown oh, Christmas. It's a picture disc. It's a picture disc. That's so nice of you. And it's I think one of the best Christmas albums ever made. Totally. Um, because it just Vince Giraldi was a, a genius. Yes, I, mean, uh, I love a, this music. a crazy of course, genius. Everybody loves this music. Yeah, and I mean it's just that the Charlie Brown Christmas stuff, and then it goes beyond that, and he's got blues in there. Yeah, and he's got kind of like what you tried to do, mix it up a little bit. Look at this cool picture disc. Yeah, it's, and it's a picture it's disc, dope. and um, I, th- I just wanted to thank you for oh, thank you so much for doing the podcast and coming, and I really appreciate your of course. Fr- your friendship. Of course. Is not gay enough. My friendship to. is extra. I'm charging <laughs> extra for that. Totally but, worth it. Yeah. It's totally worth it, people. <laughs> but yeah, the album Christmas Party is amazing, and the one before it, Good Times, is amazing. Let alone, you know, all the stuff you've done is so really great. And you've got, um, you know, the new Sarah Silverman. I mean, that's not a secret. You've got a date for it already, right? Or something? I mean, for the musical. Um, we have a tentative date a tentative of. Date. Uh, Basically, spring 2020 at the Atlantic Theater Company, if everything stays on some kind of schedule. And I have heard some of this music, which is a secret, and again, amazing, because I got to play her father in the uh, in one of the readings. Oh, yeah. Which now you got this Norbert Leo Butts. I mean, who the fuck is this guy? Oh, Mr. Best like, Actor yeah, Tony. Uh, whatever. Right. All I'm saying is, but um, he, <laughs> well, well, did you ever see um, the movie The Big Picture, uh, Christopher Guest movie? Yes, uh, yes. Did I remember they... Um, you know, Kevin Bacon got caught up in the Hollywood thing, and he yeah. tells Michael McKean, he goes, like, he was like, I fought for you, man. I fought for you. He goes, but we got this guy, Andre de Boucher, or something like yeah. that. And he goes, Well, he's good. So when Sarah told me, I'm like, Well, he's good. Like, <laughs> right. you know, well, he's good. It's pretty much that. But yeah, yeah. I mean, your songs uh, on that, I mean, you really are, 
a really amazing songwriter. I, Thank I, you. I just, I, I just have to end the podcast and say, no, don't stop. Know. Keep going with well, some of that. It's fine with me. I, I just, I don't walk out of here with that <laughs> spring in my step. But no, it's like amazing. And and Sarah and I have been together where we, again, I've said where we don't know it's your song, and we're like, boy, that's a catchy tune. And then all of a sudden, your name comes on the credits. Oh, it's, it's amazing how you're able to do it and continue to do it, and not just, and not just poppy and maybe that's the wrong word i mean you do make catchy melodies but you're also able to do more mature stuff than from what you were doing you know back in the fountains of wayne days and stuff and and still keep young and uh your mix is uh, really great and it shows on this album where you've really bridged a, a great gap oh cool man. you know where, you. where there's people who are mickey dolan's age who can completely listen to this album, and definitely somebody who's a millennial who I don't understand why they wouldn't like it. Every song is great. And and that all stems from producing a really terrific, well-put-together album. I assume you also choose which tracks. I'm always fascinated by that. The Order. I mean, that's a group effort, but I kind of more or less proposed something I liked. I I mean, I guess in the day when people had vinyl and you had to decide what goes on... I know. I mean, on some levels, it's like, but I think for people that listen to the monkeys, it still matters because it's like, you know, people that listen to this stuff grew up listening to a record as a record and you start at the beginning and you, you know, I mean, sequencing probably doesn't mean anything to like my kids. Right. They're just cherry picking songs. You have kids? And there are a couple in my neighborhood. Who gives a shit? I got kids all over the world. I got so many kids. (laughs) But I'm raising these two. That's nice of you. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm just going to leave on this song, of course, if you don't mind. Please. And, uh, yeah, thank Adam, thank you so much for thank coming all really the fun. way over from the west side. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> sorry trek. about that. This is where I live. There's nothing I can do about it, and they, uh, they haven't kicked me out yet. So it's a thank place you. to hang my hat. It's very nice. I love and what you've done with the place. I'm going to tell you right now, because this comes out, I think, the day after. Thank you for doing my show with the Comedy Cellar. <laughs> oh, right. Um, Mark, hopefully Mark, you're still going to do whatever you're going to do. It doesn't matter to me. I that's don't even care if we even do, um, is she really going out with him? I'm that's <laughs> on the third, Yeah, correct? Yeah, okay. I think this comes out on the fourth. Okay, So, um, Yeah, I remember when you did the karaoke, is she really, I did a whole podcast on that. What a terrific song that was to do is karaoke because it even involves the audience a tiny bit too. It's like, you know, way, way, you know, like whatever, oh, yeah, you yeah. hand out the microphone and stuff. I'm obviously obsessed with all of your choices. So, uh, <laughs> Cool, man. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Okay. This is a, called uh, The Monkeys Christmas Party. It is out now. I highly recommend buying it and completely <laughs> listening to the entire album in one sitting. It's really great, and you have it on in the background. It's a really great Monkeys album. Go figure. And it's all thanks to Adam Susner. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next week on the podcast after the big show at the Comedy Cellar. And uh, we'll talk to everybody. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next time on the Nightfly. In one of those French cakes disguised as a long Two-hearted Christmas, half-hearted day Say Nick and the wise men got lost on the 